I'm Paul Rouetta, I'm an alcoholic. The, uh, we have to say that because there's another Paul that gets confused with us. Anyway, I'm not a big book thumper, but there is one passage in the big book that we all must follow. But I won't tell you what it is until the end, because Paul's going to read it for us. Is that a cliffhanger? <laughs> anyway, uh, I was raised in a pretty normal family, Catholic. I was the fifth of my sister was my my next older sister was much older. She was three minutes older than I was. <laughs> I never let her forget that. I was a twin, and uh, my dad kept beer and well, alcohol. I mean, he'd have he'd give us uh, hot toddies when we were sick or something, and uh, well, when we were sick, you know, for cold or flu or whatever. And when I got older, is you know, if, if I wanted a beer, I could ask my dad for a beer, and he'd probably give me one. And I knew better than ask for two because he'd probably say, "Oh, you, that one's enough. That's good." You know, at the time, my my friends were getting their cousins or somebody to get them a six pack, and they were going down the back roads, you know, getting drunk. I guess I don't know. To me, it was like, "Why don't you just ask your dad for a beer? Why are you <laughs> sneaking off and doing it?" And uh, I was never a big drinker. I went to went to college, and I remember my roommate got a six-pack, and that was a wild weekend between the two of us. <laughs> uh, and then I got, well, I, I joined the Navy, and sailors are supposed to drink, right? So I did. <laughs> What's a sailor that doesn't drink? But I ended up on submarines, and because you were out to sea for three months at a time, was, I couldn't be an alcoholic. And I drank for all reasons, you know. It's like you drank because to make up for the drinking you missed, and you drank because to make up for the drink, drinking you'll, you will miss what you missed in the beginning. And when you're happier and sad, just have a, have a beer, you know. And it's, my roommate got into, uh, he, he had a ski boat, and we got involved, and we'd always drink and ski. And, you know, after being out skiing for a while, you get tired, and you just can't perform as well. And... We got hooked up with this ski club, and there was a lot of young kids, and they asked us not to drink around them. Somehow, I became a better skier. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> because if anything, I probably thought I was a better skier when I was, you know, had a few beers under me. I certainly was a better driver when I had a few had a few beers. But it went on, you know. And I mean, I made my way up to the Navy as I knew all about the evils of alcohol, and I certainly wasn't one of those people. You couldn't be an alcoholic. So I got out and then I went to school and I had a job there. And the summer before, I, I bought this old house I was fixing up. And so in May, I quit. I got my, my master's from the Citadel, the men's college, and uh, another whole story. Um, but that summer, I remember driving back to Missouri to see my folks. And I did something I'd never done. A friend of mine would always have a six-pack. I mean, he'd have an ice chest. And he would carry beer, and he'd have a beer for lunch. So I decided I would stop and have a beer and have one for lunch. And I'd drink one that evening, except I went through it all. <laughs> and I had a little fender bender, but I went when I went to Missouri, you know, I just, like, it really scared me. You know, I was like, you got a drinking problem. So I didn't drink for two weeks, and then I went back to Charleston, and then I only had one beer, and then you know where that leads to. <laughs> you got to have one. I mean, if you go to the bar, you have to have a beer, right? You can't 
Who's going to order water or orange juice? Oh, my goodness. What would people think? And uh, so I got a, uh, I was looking for all kinds of jobs. The jobs I wanted didn't work out. And, and uh, I ended up getting offered a job out here. And so I came out to Palo Verde, got my car, and went out to the bar and got drunk. And stupid Grand Avenue. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Grand Avenue running at an angle. <laughs> Somehow I got on Grand Avenue, and I knew I needed to go west, and so I tried to make a 120-degree turn, and I hit the railroad tracks. And so the cops hauled me in, and sure enough, I blew something like a .8 or something, whatever it was. So I lost my license for, 60, for 90 days. Well, they had a whole bunch of other things, because I just got the car. It wasn't, I had a job, but it wasn't registered, and I didn't have an Arizona driver's license. They charged me with uh, something loss of control, and a DUI. And so I got a lawyer, and they said, hey, if you plead guilty for the DUI, you, uh, they'll, they'll just wipe the other ones away. But, and there would be a fine, and I'd lose my license for 90 days. And so uh, they didn't tell me. I had to go see Jerry Watkins, she. And this woman was supposed to evaluate me and decide whether I needed to go to a, to a treatment or not. <laughs> And so I remember, you know, I was, I was saying I didn't have a drinking problem. I just didn't know when to call a cab. The truth be known, I'd probably be on the floor saying, I can drive, I can drive, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, I was never too drunk to drive. So anyway, she was trying to get me into some kind of, they're like IOPs now. They didn't call them then that. And nothing would work out. So she finally says, well, fine, I'll just send you to 12 AA meetings. I said, fine, you know. And so I, I remember, well, see, at work at Palo Verde, I, part of my job was to, at the outside rounds, is that you had to drive, which meant you had to have a, a, a company car, which meant you had to have a valid driver's license. So I went and told my boss what had happened. And he says, well, okay, but they don't look kindly on that here. And basically to me, if I got another one, I'd probably lose my job, you know, that he couldn't cover me for twice. And it was interesting because all of a sudden, there's six, at that time, there were six areas. Area six was the one that went out and you had to drive and everything else was inside. And I just didn't have that assigned to me. You know, I didn't think much about it. But anyway, so I go to AA thinking, well, I'll show this woman. You know, I'll go to AA and I'll make friends. I was brand new here. Didn't have any real friends except from work. And I, I consciously thought, hey, you know, if this can keep me sober so I don't get another DUI in a year... And it's worth it. And, but what I found was, you guys had done A, B, C, D, and I was sitting at C waiting to lose my, my credit. I had a house. I had a job. I had credit. You know, and, uh, and oh, that was one thing. Jerry Watkins, when I was trying to say I don't have a drinking problem, she says you're smarter than that. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. And so that, that kept coming up to me, you know, I'm smarter than that, you know, and I, I, you know. So anyway, I stayed, you know, and I didn't celebrate my first year because at that time I'd known people that would tell their stories and they'd say, I got a year, I was cured, and I went out and had a drink. And uh, so it, uh, I think that's all I can say about what got me here and what happened. So it's wonderful. Uh, 
I think the 12th step is interesting. Is, is uh, Oh, by the way, flattery will get you everything, how much you want. Yeah. 100 bucks. But uh, I want to bring that up because it really bothers me because I know I'm involved. I, I, you know, whatever. But I only got 24 hours. I'm one drink away. You know, and, and they, they were interviewing a guy on the radio today. He was, he was one of the last survivors of Pearl Harbor. He was actually in Pearl Harbor. He's 100 years old now. And they, the doctor says, what do you do? And he says, I extraneous exercise and two scotch and sodas every night. And my first thought was, why ruin perfectly good scotch <laughs> with soda? Oh, that was it. When I drank beer, I would say, uh, I just get sleepy. I loved everyone and went to sleep. You know, I just kind of passed out. But with, with uh, scotch, I was mean. And if I knew that there was something, and I consciously remembered this, was that if there was something you were sensitive about, your weight or something, I just kind of put it in and twist it, you know, just being honoring and stuff. But I didn't realize till I'd been sober and going back and trying to make amends and stuff is that I was I'd never I was never a fighter. The only time I ever almost got in a fight was I was in grade school and we were playing baseball and the other guy I I I thought he was cheating, you know, and I was ready to beat him up. But besides that, you know, I I learned to run. See my my older brother was six years older and I was a little hefty and I was skinny and as a rail and I'd tease him and then run like hell. If he'd ever caught me, I'd be dead. But, you know, that was my mode of conflict. You just run. You know, you get away from it. I never got into fights. But um, people tell me I, was, I got physically violent. You know, I was mean to them. You know, I physically would hit them and stuff. You know, pick a fight with them, I guess. You know, but... You know, I was drunk. You know, what do you say about, you know, when somebody asks you, I mean, this guy says, why were you always so mean to me? And it's like, I didn't know I was. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so anyway, you know, things happen. Um, so 12th step is practice these principles. Oh, the last part, carry the, the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And practice these principles in all of our affairs. And to me, that means... Not just in AA in these rooms, not with other AA with other alcoholics. I mean, at your work, you know, in your family, in your relationships, and uh, I don't know. It's it. Uh, I I wonder sometimes. I've been really blessed. You know, I've I've been uh, comfortable. You know that everything's worked out for me. You know, if, if I had planned thirty five years ago, if I'd you know laid out a plan, it wouldn't be here. You know, it wouldn't be an AA, and it wouldn't be where I'm sitting. You know, I had all these other great plans, you know, of what I thought I was going to do in the world, but none of it turned out. But I think there's things happen for a reason. You know, it's like I uh, I actually started taking some notes because another Paul seems so well prepared when he speaks, but I found that the best thing for me is just speak from the heart. And I really think sometimes God tells me stuff that, or I say stuff that I need to hear. And it, um, years ago, my sponsor at the time, he had, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years, and I had five or so. And uh, we're out running around doing something, and he says, well, I don't know if my drinking led to my personal problems or my personal problems led to my drinking. And what he's basically saying is now that he had his personal problems all solved, he could go out and drink. 
And I don't know where it came from, but it was like, uh, but Gene, you have so much to lose and nothing to gain. You know, and that has come back, come find out he was, he'd already been drinking and he started, he worked for an insurance company and started borrowing some money from the till. I'm sure his intent was to put it back and uh, eventually he became a guest of the governor's. Uh, he served like three years in minimum security prison. But, uh, you know, where where does those things come from, you know? And it's like, there's one thing is this woman, Jean Larson, who was just a Mrs. AA, I guess. You know, when I first came in, everyone's just like, oh, Jean Larson. You know, she probably had 10 years or something, and I just idolized her. But she told her story. She was sitting in a trailer in Ventura, California, sitting on the floor with her dog, drinking straight vodka out of martini glasses, because her and her dog, because only alcoholics drank out of the bottle. And by the time I knew her, she was driving a Mercedes and living in Paradise Valley, and I, I mean, not from AA standpoint, I was kind of like, well, what happened? You know, you get into real estate, stocks, bonds, you know, inherited, how did you end up, you know, going from being in this trailer, you know, your bottom and where you are now? I mean, she didn't share that, but I just knew knew what what her life was, and she says, "I keep giving it away." She says, "You can't you can't give it away fast enough; it comes back to you." She says, and her her goal was to do something nice for someone every day, and if uh, they find out about it, it doesn't count. And so I I tried to make that my thing. It's like try to be because too many people, and it's like. Oh, did you see me help that little lady across the street? Ain't I a good little boy? Ain't I special? You know, so I, I think that's that's something that's helped me a lot too. You know, just and it's not only things, money. I think it's it's a smile. You know, a, a love. You know, you give if you throw out love, then some of that love comes gets reflected and comes back. Who Nelson will know. Anyway, in electrons, you have all these electrons that are going to start to go out. Sometimes they just go out there and go into ether. They don't go anywhere. You know, we don't know. Sometimes they hit other, or neutrons will hit other atoms, and they'll cause you know cause it to get excited, and, and it'll release more neutrons, and and you get a chain reaction. And sometimes they just go out and come back. And I think that's that's kind of like what love is about, you know, or service. You help other people, you don't know where it goes to, and it doesn't matter, but a lot of it's going to hit somebody else and hit somebody else and come back and get back to you. You know, and some of it you, you try to do. I mean, I can't believe. I mean, I was trying to help this little old lady, and, you know, I ended up making money off of it. <laughs> it's like, to me, you know, I truly was trying to help her out. You know, she was in a hard space and stuff, and she ended up, you know, she had this land, and I said, well, shit, I'll give you 10000 for it. And I said, well, you know, just get get the title straightened out on it, and we'll put it up for sale, and, uh, you know, you'll make some money off of it and get some money out of it. So we got the title cleaned up for her, and I says, okay, let's call the realtor and get it listed. And she says, no, I'll take 10000 You know, she gave it, you know, so I bought it from her, which I, hindsight I think might have been bad because she took the money and, bought a car, a down payment on a car, and quit making payments, you know. But regardless, you know, I just can't believe it. I was trying to do something nice to this lady, and somehow I made money on it, you know. Just like. So anyway, that's off the topic. Uh, what else? 
don't know. Doesn't it say somewhere in the big book after 15 minutes, no souls are saved? <laughs> I think. No, it's not big. It's, it's somewhere in the, the literature that Dr. Who knows it? There's some somewhere. One, one of the founders said no, saves, no souls are saved after 15 minutes. It was meant more for sermons and stuff. So you're all anxious to know what this one passage Yes. Paul, on page 133 on the bottom. Now, everyone take note. You have to follow this one. Page 133? Bottom. Last paragraph. One of the many doctors? Yes. My name is Paul. Do you know this one? I'll share this paragraph that Paul is referencing. One of the many doctors who have the opportunity of reading this book in manuscript form told us that the use of of sweets was often helpful. Of course, depending upon the doctor's advice, he thought all alcoholics should constantly have chocolate available for its quick energy value and times of fatigue. He added that occasionally in the night a vague craving arose which would be satisfied by candy. Many of us, many of us have noticed a tendency to eat sweets and have found this practice beneficial. So the big book tells me to eat lots of ice cream, right? <laughs> Actually, I guess a good friend of mine, he, he quotes that, and he is a chocolate I'm not a chocolate I'm just anything that's sweet. Oh, I'm sorry. It's messing with his microphone. Uh, and I was surprised, too. When I first got sober, I would do my rounds, and then that vending machine down there in the lobby just kept screaming at me, I, I have chocolate. And it, it worked. You know, that you know, in my early times alcohol was a good good source, but now my problem is is I'm just like, you know, one drink is one one bit of ice cream. If it's in the house it gets eaten. So I pass. Thanks, Thank Paul. You, Paul. Thanks, Paul.